Give thanks to God. He is a good God. He is a good God. I just want to honor Lawrence for about 15 minutes. I said, be my coach, be my coach. <laughs> Kia ora, bro, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting when we think about this and how precious and rich it is to honor and understand the uh, indigenous language of this nation. As a, uh, as a uh, Pākehā pastor, I can go into a place and go, hey, can we open in prayer? And people go, ooh. But they go, hey, come on, let's start with a kōrero. And they go, okay, let's do that. What does kōrero mean? It means a talk. And what's the prayer? Karakia. Let's start with a kōrero and a karakia. And they go, yeah, yeah, let's do that. I go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> a couple of things before we gather around the Word this morning. Last weekend, we had uh, David, Pe- David and Greta Peters here as our guest speakers in the morning. And then in the evening for our combined service, how good was that to gather with the church, capital C? There were, there were 12 churches represented here last Sunday night. That was outstanding. And both morning and evening, both David and Greta spoke about the dawn arising about there as a new move and a new rise and a, and a, and a, and a fresh emphasis on prayer. And so um, each year, uh, generally three weeks or so before our Elam Pastors Conference, um, Elam Nationwide uh, goes into 21 days of prayer, praying for the ch- our churches, praying for our pastors, praying for the conference, praying for our movement, praying for the lost. And um, we're a little bit behind the eight ball because they actually started a week ago, but we're starting tomorrow. So um, uh, this 21 days of prayer booklet has been uh, produced um, from around the nation. So uh, there's been pastors and leaders throughout the Elam movement have all um, contributed devotions to the, or devotionals to this. And so there's a number of these that have been printed off and they'll be available on the resource table uh, after the service. Or if you're more digitally minded, then um, we will put up the link uh, on our Elam, uh, on our, uh, Elam page so on, on Facebook. So you can just download the link and you can have it to your device, your phone, your tablet, your, your laptop. Download it to all three because at some point during the day it'll remind you to pray. So uh, yeah, we're, we're going to launch. So... Um, generally, the three weeks finishes just before conference, so our third week is actually going to be going during the week of the conference, which is going to be really, really cool. So that's available. Um, next, uh, on that, uh, I just want to honor um, this morning, Lindsay, where are you? Lindsay, Lindsay, down the back here. Lindsay, could you please stand up? This man here, for I don't know how long, has faithfully showed up every Wednesday morning at quarter past seven and he's led our, early, our midweek, early morning, Wednesday morning prayer meeting. And uh, Linz, I just want to say thank you, because I actually don't know how many years you've been doing that. Um, can we just honor this guy? He just leads us in prayer. Um, I, I, I know there's a lot of prayer happens around, uh, around our church and in our church community and connect groups and the likes. And I just, I just can't encourage you enough that when you're in a gathering to pray together because the Word of God powerfully declares when there's two or more gather, he's there, but if two agree. And so uh, I think we actually had seven on Wednesday morning, didn't we, Linz? I think it was about seven here. So it's quarter past seven to quarter to eight. So you won't be late for work. Um, you just got to get up a little bit earlier. 
Come and join us. It's such a powerful time of prayer. So that's Wednesday mornings. Next Sunday, we have got this really, really, really exciting thing. Normally, I don't go through a whole lot of notices on a Sunday morning, but I just want to promote next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning is our one service. And we call it one because we are one family. And so there'll be different generations represented through that whole service. And we're going to be linking in with the theme that Power Zone has been doing for the last month. And they've been, the overarching theme is a great big God, but they've been zeroing in on the fact that you can trust God. And so I'm really excited about next week. I've got a really exciting testimony to share of a young couple that I'm going to be taking their wedding next Saturday and uh, I've asked permission if I can, they're not from this church, and I've asked permission if I can share a little bit of their story and my message around trust. I'm super excited. And we are going to have hot dogs for lunch after the service. So, I mean, if you don't want to come and hear me preach, at least come for the hot dog. That'll be great. All right. Should we get around the word this morning? I should get into preaching mode, eh? All right, let's do this. I'll take these off. I'm just dragging everything all over the place. All right, there we go. Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Got your notebooks ready? Okay, five or six people are going to heaven. There we go. Was that, was that too naughty? I did, I did hear someone go, yay. <laughs> if you're unsure about whether you're going to heaven, then listen closely. Because you'll know how, you, how to get there by the time I'm finished preaching. You know, in recent weeks, can I, actually there's another group of people that I really, really want to honor, and that's our, our worship team, our tech team, and the preaching team. I don't know if you're aware, but while Suzanne and I were away for those three weeks, the very first Sunday that we were away, 10 out of the 14 people in the worship and the tech team had to be replaced. They had to be switched out because of sickness and COVID and isolation, everything like that. 10 out of 14. And yet when we jumped online, there was a full team. You guys rock. Our preaching team, you guys carried it while we were away. And, and can we just honor these guys, please? They are the bomb. They are the bomb. And if this is your first time joining us online this morning, God bless you. Welcome you from wherever you're joining us from, whether it's local, national, and international. Just want to do a shout out to Joe and Zama for joining us from South Africa. God bless you. I know it's in your heart to move to New Zealand. I want to say amen. That's a really good idea. It's a great nation. God bless you. Thank you. You've been faithful in joining us for I don't know how long, but thank you. Thank you. In recent weeks, the messages on Sundays have taken us on this incredible journey. Let me just punch her real fast. It started from a personal connection and a relationship with God when Ian spoke about know God. And then it went from just knowing God into an inner transformation when Ryan spoke about finding freedom and then we, you, you, the journey took you into finding your destiny when Amber spoke about discovery and making a difference. And then the week after that, with all that, all that information that you were given and that knowledge, we were then taught that once we know all this stuff, if we start comparing each other with each other, then our joy can be stolen when Julian brought the message for our Father's Day service. And then just last week, we received a prophetic message about a new dawn a fresh dawn arising. And a quote from that message from uh, David was this, it's not, it's not your condition that saves you, it's your position in Christ. It's not your condition that saves you, it's your position in Christ. You know, God loves us 
Jesus died on the cross for us regardless of how we are and where we are. But he loves us so much that he won't leave us how we are and where we are. His desire is that his plans in the word will be inworked and then outworked, and we would be changed by his presence and his Holy Spirit from the inside out. That's good news. That's good news. And every message we've received over the last five weeks, there's been a significant commonality, a significant common point through all of them. To know God, to find freedom, to discover destiny, to make a difference, to live full of joy, and to see a new dawn arising that requires each of us to be intentional about our position. You are not going to see the sunrise in the morning if you are still tucked up in your bed with the curtains pulled. There is a position that needs to be taken to see the new dawn. And many, many descriptions in the Word of God around worship, we immediately think it's about voice and it's about heart. But actually, in many descriptions around worship, it's actually about our physical positioning. We position our heart and we choose to use our voice. But quite often, if we dig deep into it, and I'm not going to go in there this morning, but it actually talks about your physical posture, the position of your body in worship. And so this whole thing about positioning is really, really important. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've got to put yourself in a place to be heard. Again, the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Timothy, his young Padawan learner, his apprentice, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, it says this, and this is out of the message translation. He wants not only us, as in the Jews, but everyone saved. Jews, every living person on the planet, he wants everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth that we've learned, that there's one God and only one and one mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone, who is held captive by sin, and that's everyone. To set them all free, eventually the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work. This is what he's saying. This is his. This and this only has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. The most prolific writer in the New Testament, and perhaps one of the greatest Bible teachers ever known, the Apostle Paul, defines his life as the pursuit of God's purposes, and he defines it as the most important thing. And so for those of you taking notes this morning, <laughs> my message to you is this, in pursuit of God's purposes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you, we know by the word of God that you are a spirit of revelation and truth. That you've come to, you convict us of our sin. And as we make ourselves available to you, you correct us and you guide us and you lead us with wisdom and grace. Because you love us so much, you don't want to leave us in our sin. You don't want us to don't want us to walk around without understanding, so you bring revelation. 
You want us to know the truth, so you come as the Spirit of truth. I'm asking Holy Spirit, fill this place this morning. Take what you've downloaded into my spirit. Teach me as I teach, but plant it deep in all of our hearts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, uh, he, he says that he is praying that their love, this is the Philippians, their love of God would increase and that their knowledge and their discernment would grow so they could they could fulfill the purposes of God wholeheartedly, even as he, the Apostle Paul, had. Let's read in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It'll be up on the screen. Verse 12 says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Now, he's writing to the Philippians, everything that has happened to me here... Where was he when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. What? He's writing to a city from Rome in prison, and he's saying, everything that's happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. And then in verse 20, it says this, And I will continue to rejoice, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Paul literally is the embodiment of the verse in Revelations where it says, and they uh, was it they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved their loved not their life even unto death. In other words, they were prepared to die for the good news of Jesus Christ. I've often wondered, I've got a pretty vivid imagination, and I've often wondered what would happen if, for some horrible, horrible reason, this nation was overrun by, by, by radical terrorists who despise the name of Jesus, and we're all gathering here like we are right now, and suddenly they all burst in the back of the door uh, with locked and loaded, ready to go, And they say, we're going to give you one chance and one chance only. If you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, stand because we're going to shoot you. How many of us would stand? Really easy right here, right now, in the freedom that we have in this nation to go, oh yeah, I'll stand. You know, that's what Peter said. I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll be with you even right until you die or if I die too. Nick It's, I, I just I say that because, guys, let us never, ever, ever treat the freedom that we have to love Jesus and worship Jesus and share Jesus. Let's never t- treat that cheaply or with indifference. Because as the Apostle Paul says, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you know, when Paul says, everything that's happened to me, if you look in 1 Corinthians 11, it's not going to come up on the screen, but let me, let me just list the everything. Um, five times he was whipped, 39 lashes. And that's 39 because those who were professional whippers or professional scourges had learned that at lash 40, you'll kill someone. So you know that saying, within an inch of your life? That's what that's talking about. One lash short of dying. Five times he, was, he received that. Three times he was beaten with rods. And I saw, I, so I dug, did a, a, a dig on that, and I said, like, what's a rod? 
according to the Bible. Basically, it was a really long piece of hardwood, a branch, like a branch off a tree. It was beaten with branches off a tree three times. Um, once he was stoned, not in today's vernacular. Okay? What it means was he stood and a whole group of people stood around him with rocks in their hand and they hurled rocks at him until he nearly died. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he spent a whole night and a whole day adrift at sea. Now, he would not have one of those pull the red handle and it will self-inflate and if it's not enough, blow hard. He may have had a piece of shipwreck to hang on to, but a whole night and a whole day adrift at sea. He faced dangers from rivers and robbers. He faced dangers from his own people, the Jews, as well as from Gentiles. He faced danger in city, desert, and on the sea. He faced dangers from men who were inside the church. People who claimed to be believers, but they were not. He worked long, hard days. And this was no overtime at time and a half. Okay, this was pure hard labor. He endured many sleepless nights. He suffered both starvation and dehydration. He suffered cold throughout day and night because he didn't have enough clothes to keep him warm. And yet he says to the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> you know what? When I read that list, I don't think I'm qualified to say, I can do all things through <laughs> I don't even want to get shipwrecked once. I sure as hang don't want to get whipped with 39 lashes or beaten with tree branches. Or, And I, you know what? I Actually, I really don't want to starve either. I kind of like my food. Kind of. But I want to read where, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is, how it's, this is how it's written in the message translation of the Bible. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one, capital O, who makes me who I am. What a, what a positive, positive statement, eh? So, what does this pursuit of God's purpose really look like? How do we... I'm not Paul. I am not even close to the Apostle Paul. But what I want to share with you this morning is three guiding principles that to, to aim to live by these principles every day. And if we make these three principles into three life practices, then we can share, we can live our life, the purpose of God, with, a, with the same security that the Apostle Paul did. Okay, here's the first guiding principle. Living in a way that Jesus is evident in your life. If Jesus is evident in your life, those around you should see it. Yeah? 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 I, I knew my, when, when my oldest son was uh, at college, he got an after-school, after, uh, after uh, a weekend job. He used to work at Pizza Hut. You know what? I knew he worked at Pizza Hut. There was evidence. He would come home smelling like pepperoni. And if I went and picked him up the next day, my car smelled like pepperoni. I went, ah, the presence of my son. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if we have got Jesus in us, then it should be seen. Our hope should be seen. The joy should be seen. And hopefully some will either come to know that or at least ask questions about it. So what does that look like? 
when we live God's way, he brings gifts into our life, much like fruit in an orchard. He will grow fruit. He will grow gifts in our life. And if you want to know what that looks like, we turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. It says this, but the Holy Spirit, that's God, the Holy Spirit, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> I mean, have you ever been in a situation where someone comes up to you and goes, how can you be so at peace in this? Well, the evidence of God. In a situation when you go to the gondola restaurant up on the, the hill in Queenstown and there is a smorgasbord to die for. And you go, oh my goodness, <gasps> self-control. You say, thank you, I've had enough after at least five plates. Oh. <laughs> the Bible tells of Paul being kept prisoner three times. And every time he took the opportunity to witness to the guards and to the other prisoners, both by how he lived, both by how he behaved, but also by words. Um, there's a quote that it's, it's been accounted to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, but it's actually not his, where it says, um, you know, by all means and by all ways, witness Christ, and if necessary, use words. One of the most famous times of, of, of the three that the Bible accounts for, because I'm sure he was incarcerated and arrested more times than three, but there's three accounts of him in prison. The, probably the most famous one is when he and Silas were in prison. And they, they, were, they were put into the dungeon, the innermost part of the prison, and they were shackled so like they were in complete darkness and probably stinky dampness, and they were shackled, and they were chained. And what did they do? Bible readers, what did they do? They sang. They gave praise and they gave worship to God. The account goes on and says, suddenly there was an earthquake, and the prison doors flew open, their chains fell off, the stocks blew open, and like suddenly every prisoner was physically free. And the, the chief prison guard or the prison warden of the time was, was terrified because he knew that his life was on the line if Paul escaped. Paul calls out in the dark. I've always been fascinated by this. He calls out to the warden. And he goes, no, no, it's all good. We're all here. I think by the Holy Spirit, Paul knew that the prison warden was terrified. And yet he still said, no, no, we're all good. End of it. That prison warden... And his entire family came to faith. That his entire household came to faith. Why? Because the evidence of Jesus was in Paul's life. When we allow God, he will place us exactly at the right place and exactly at the right time for his purposes. And he will give us the strength to handle it. So what I want to give you, I've got three of these principles. I'm going to give you a checkpoint and a determination. For each of these three. So here's the checkpoint. Is my relationship with Christ evident to others? I'm not going to ask for any answers this morning. But here's my determination. No matter the cost, I want to know Jesus and make him known. So the first guiding principle, is Jesus evident in your life? Here's the second one. Living for the expansion of the gospel. Now, the word gospel literally means good news. 
Okay, so we want to we want to have lives that live for the expansion and the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul acknowledges that what what he went through shaped him, so that it resulted in the privilege of expanding the reach of the gospel. When we allow the Holy Spirit to rule in our lives, when we allow Him to produce the fruit that the Bible says He will, the gifts. The, the scripture's so full of these gifts that he's got us, got for us, these, these fruit, these expressions that he, he grows and he builds within us. It's just such a magnificent thing that God will do for us. And as we allow him to do that, then God's purposes get imprinted in our hearts. How do you know what God wants you to do? Well, you spend time hanging out with the guy who knows what, you, what he wants you to do. How do the All Blacks know how to play a game? Well, they hang out with the coach. Sometimes. Sometimes they don't know what to do, but we won't go there. <laughs> if you want to know what God wants you to do, hang out with God. And then we can ask the simple question, is my life furthering the gospel? Is my life a life that will allow the expansion of the gospel? Here's your checkpoint. If we aren't preaching Christ, who is going to hear the message of hope? Now, when I say preaching, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do what I do. I'm not asking you to go and, like some evangelists have done, and, and I used to when I was a young fellow. I, I, I cut my preaching teeth in A.T. Square in Queen Street in Auckland and uh, up and down Market Street here in, in Blenheim. Way back in the day, they had these things called the boulder banks. Any, any long-term mulberryans here? The down Market Street, they, you know, the river stones, and they, had these, they, they made these little kind of uh, bench alcoves. They had you know, all out of river stone, and then they had park benches in them, and that was called the boulder bank. And on Friday night, we used to go down where Hallenstein's is. It used to be Woolworth's, and they had an outdoor PowerPoint right by their door, and we would go down and plug a little guitar amp and ring a bicker, ring a bicker. Father Abraham, had me no, no, um, and uh, and I used to get up and I used to get up on the top of those boulder banks and I used to walk up and down and preach on a Friday night. I think Christians, uh, I, th I think it was us that caused lapping with um, you know um, boy races because they used to keep going around the block so they could throw their cans of beer at me. Um, but yeah, so there are those who will get out on the street and preach. Now maybe you don't need to do that, but maybe you just need to be able to go from your office to the next office. And go, hey, how are you doing today? With the joy and the love and the peace that the Holy Spirit puts in you, just reach and go, hey, how are you doing today? I'm not doing so well. How did you know? Eh, just kind of had a sense. Holy Spirit. If we aren't preaching Christ, who's going to hear the message? So here's the determination. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. But how can they call on him, Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So is Jesus evident in your life? Is our life bringing expansion to the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ? Here's the third guiding principle. Live a life intentionally encouraging others. I mean... Even in prison, Paul was doing this. I mean, he was encouraging his captors. I mean, it was the warden that put him in the deepest, darkest 
stinkiest part of the prison and locked him in shackles and put him in chains. And then the warden invited him into his own home, cared for his wounds where he'd been beaten and whipped, gave him a meal, and then sat and listened to the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul encouraged him. If where you work, if everyone around you can be described as the frozen chosen, don't let it go. Don't do that. But encourage. Be the radiant warmth of the love of Jesus to melt the ice. Be the radiant warmth of Jesus Christ that will melt the ice. I've told this story before, but... um, Every day when I was out on when I was based out of Woodburn, I would I would walk from my barracks down to the workshop. It was like half the length of the base. It was a great walk. And every morning I saw the same guy. And he and I actually we actually joined the force together. We were on the same recruit course, but he was he was he could have been the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. He was pretty closed off. But every morning I'd I'd go, Bro, how you doing? Morning. And this went on. Day after day, week after week. And then one morning, it was so funny. One morning, I walked down the road, and I said, bro, how you doing? Great day, good to see you. And he stopped right in the middle of the road. There was like five, it was an intersection of about five pieces, five roads all coming off it. Should have been a roundabout, but we, they weren't invented then. Um, and uh, he stopped right in the smack in the middle of the road, and he stamped his foot, and he goes, why do you keep saying good morning to me? <laughs> I said, well, two things. Firstly, it is a good morning. Secondly, it's great to see you. And he carried on. <laughs> I'm hoping that I'm going to see him next February. My recruit course is having their 40-year reunion. And so we're all going to get together out of Woodburn. Oh, I'm so excited about that. I'm going to see him. I'm going, G'day, bro, how you doing? He's going, mm. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. But do you live a life to encourage other people? Come on. Paul modeled this pursuit of God's purpose. He encouraged everyone. Just everywhere he went, whether he was in the ship. The ship was sinking. They were throwing all the cargo off the side, and he's standing on the ship going, it's all good. It's all good. I've talked to Jesus. He said we're not going to die. I mean... Could you, could you picture that? I just I loved listening to your message, Ian, when you, when you kind of unpack those stories a bit more. And, and I just, I, I listened to it, and I was like, i gotta take, I got to take that. That's really, really cool. I can picture this, Paul, middle of the ship. It's like, you know, all this sort of seasick. There's cargo going up the side. People are going, we're going to die. We're going to die. He's going, no, no, it's all good. Don't you be the We're going to die. No. But how do you know we're not going to die? Well, I ask the God who owns the storm. Checkpoint. What does my life encourage others to do? And I specifically wrote it that way. Even though I'm talking about encouraging the positive, the love, the the warmth of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Our life can actually encourage people to do some really dumb stuff. 
Because when you encourage someone to do something, you give them permission to do what you are doing. Back in the day when I was a youth leader, I had an HQ Kingswood Holden. One of those ones with three on the tree, bench seat in the front. Oh, that was a column shift. What a car. I could fit nine youth in that car. And I really loved the bench seat because it was every time I went around the corner, I'd go, this is a COD corner. So I'd come over, darling, and I'd go around the corner fast and Suze would go, zoom across the seat. Go, hey, baby. <laughs> hey, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, okay? <laughs> but I did like the bench seat. It was great because, you know, Suze could sit next to me. But I remember going down O'Dwyer's Road and the, the, the stop banks here. At 80 kilometers an hour, I could get the front wheels off the road. At 85 kilometers an hour, your dukes a hazard. And I thought that was great until one of the youth that I used to lead got a car. Went down to Dwyer's road. Guess what? Tom reckons at 80, I can get the front wheels off the ground. At 85, I get up. And I was like, oh, no. I'm going to have to answer to their mum and dad. <laughs> Don't make the mistakes I made. <laughs> What does your life encourage others to do? Here's my determination. We must do what will lift others in their faith and their joy in Christ. Amen? As a believer, I will spend eternity with Jesus. I know that. I know that. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I am born again, cleansed by the forgiving love and you know, the, the Christianese washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? When Jesus died on the cross, he was the Lamb of God. And we're going to come to this in communion in a moment. But the, the blood that he shed because of the necessity of a blood sacrifice literally, or not literally, but figuratively washed away my sin. As a believer, I am going to spend eternity with Christ, with God. Why would I not want others to have that too? Why would I not give God my all here and now with the hope that some others can have the same eternal certainty that I do? Again, the Apostle Paul says, I, I am all things to all people so that some might get saved. Now, did that mean that if the people that he were hanging out with were muppets and doing really stupid things? No. What it meant that he lived in a life so it wouldn't steer people to sin, but steer them away from sin. He lived a life in amongst of those people so that he didn't dishonor them, but the evidence of God was in his life. His life was to expand the, expand the hope and the goodness of God, and he encouraged other people to live in a way that Jesus would have them live, get this, even within their own culture. How do I know that? Because when he, here's a Jew in the middle of Greece, and he's speaking to the brainiacs of the day, and this is what he said to them. He I can see that you guys study deeply. I can see that you are so incredibly spiritual. I, all over the place, I see statues and emblems and totems to all these gods, and man, you guys are so super spiritual. But you know what? I also saw a plinth 
And in it was engraved to the unknown God, but there was no image on it. Can I tell you why there's no image? And so he encouraged them with the good news of Jesus Christ that was evident in his life, but he encouraged them to hope and life and purpose within their own Greek culture. Did you know within our Māori people, when the first missionaries came to New Zealand, New Zealand was virtually a saved nation already. The gospel had already gone through the Māori people so significantly that when the missionaries traveled from one place to the next place to the next place, they already found them worshiping God within their culture. We don't have, I don't have enough time this morning to unpack that. That is a mind-blowing story. Will you live with the evidence of Jesus in your life? Will you live to expand the gospel? Will you encourage others? So I, I want to get a little bit practical. I want to give you a start point. How do we live with evidence of God in our life? How do we live to expand the gospel? How do we encourage people with the hope of Jesus Christ? The, how do we bring the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world? Well, I want to, it's, it's really, 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 really easy. Two words. Be available. Be available. There are two stories in the book of Kings in the Old Testament about availability. Really quickly, I want to unpack them to you. There were three kings. Joram, he's the new king of Israel. The king of Edom and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah at the time. And the three of them formed an alliance and they were all traveling together to take on the Moabites. They were going to wipe the Moabites off the face of the earth. But to get to the land of Moab, they had to travel through a desert. And they've been traveling, this massive army, three different kings, massive army going through the desert, seven days into the desert. They were out of water and out of food. And they were desperate. And they started to get angry with each other and with God. And then King Jehoshaphat, whose life was sold out to God. Here's the thing. The evidence of God was in his life. King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And he, call, he makes the call. He goes, is there anyone, is there anyone here? Who's a, is there a prophet here? And then someone said, Elisha. So he called Elisha. And they went to Elisha and they said, can you, can you go before God and find out what's going on? And this is what Elijah said in 2 Kings 3.15. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. And when the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And, um, and so the, the word of God to, to the kings through the prophet was this. Go into the valley, dig ditches. Just dig ditches. No, I get bone dry. I got to dig ditches. What does that mean? He goes, that's the word of the Lord. Go into the valley and dig ditches and he will answer your prayer. Overnight, no wind and no rain. Overnight, those ditches filled with water. And the army was completely and fully refreshed and restored. But there was more to this blessing. At the rising of the new dawn, at the rising of the sun, the Moabites saw the rising sun reflecting off the water, and it was the color of blood. And they were so excited because they thought these three armies had turned on themselves and attacked themselves, and they were all dead. And so they rushed out into the valley thinking, the plunder, the plunder. And what did they, what did they encounter? A very, very refreshed force. And the Moabites were annihilated. Now, that's a pretty cool war story. But I want to give you two thoughts. Firstly, the musician and the harp were nondescript. All, all, all Elisha said was, bring me someone who can play the harp. 
Now, I'm sure in amongst three armies, there was at least one harpist, if not a whole heap. But one person said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Made himself available. He comes into a place where the prophet is wanting to hear from God. He starts to play. As soon as he plays, the power of God falls. Elisha prophesies. What did he do? He made himself available. Here's the second thought. If you find yourself empty and dry in the valley, dig. Dig. Dig ditches. Make room for God. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you up. How do we dig? If we're feeling dry in our soul, dry in our spirit, how do we dig? Well, we worship. We get into the Word of God. We read it and we pray. Because one musician made his gift available, God responded. So God can actually work through an individual to save many. Here's the second story, how God can work through many people. In 2 Kings, again, there's a widow who comes to Elisha again, and she's got a couple of sons, and those sons are about to be taken off her because she was so in debt, the people that she was in debt to were going to take her sons as payment, and so the boys were going to live as slaves to cover her debt. She goes to the, she goes to the prophet and goes, I'm in trouble. He asks a very simple question in Elisha's chapter uh, 2 Kings 4, verses 2 and 3. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? She replies, nothing at all except a flask of oil. Not much there. Elisha said, go and borrow many empty jars, as many empty jars as you can from friends and neighbors. Long story short, she went out and she borrowed every empty jar, pot, drinking vessel, everything that she could find from her friends and neighbors, and she brought them home. Still haven't got a clue. Now, now Elisha said, go in, shut the door, and begin to fill. A little bit of oil. She began to pour, and pour, and pour, and pour, and pour, and pour, and pour. You know that oil only stopped flowing when she'd run out of empty vessels to fill. Now, again, picture this. A woman who's about to lose her sons to slavery, everyone in the village would have known that. And she starts going around, her and her boys start going around, knocking on doors. Do you have a jar? Do you have a pot? Have you got a pan? Have you got a, have you got a bucket? We just need something empty from you. And they're going, what? What? And they gather and gather and gather, and the word spreads throughout the village, and then people go, ah, and they started coming with armfuls of things, and they fill this house up with empty pots and jars and bottles and jugs and Everything, And then she goes in and shuts the door. And you can imagine everyone standing outside going, huh? And then she pours and pours and pours and pours and pours and pours and pours. And prophet says, now go and sell your, pay off your debt, live off the rest. Can you imagine, can you imagine in the village, the minute she opened her door, she became olive oil Caltex for that village. Every house in that village suddenly had a supply of oil. Why? Because she made what little she had left available to God, and they, the village, made every empty vessel they had available to God. It wasn't just one mum and her two boys that got blessed. It was an entire village. She was left debt-free and with enough to live on and enough to bless. Why? Because she made it available. Will you make yourself available to God this morning?